Welcome to the Lorecast, where we look into the lore and the stories by which we live. I'm Dr. Craig Chalkwist, and you can find us at chalkwist.com slash podcast and at a number of other online venues. Recently, I defended my second dissertation. I've been working on uh, another PhD, this one in religion and philosophy with a concentration in philosophy, cosmology, and consciousness. And Restoring Our Lore is the title of the dissertation, and it has to do with the power of story, especially our guiding story, to tell us who we are, what our sense of reality is, what kind of world we live in, and so on. So at the dissertation defense, it took about maybe a little over two hours, and somebody on my committee asked me a great question, and uh, I recently posted uh, a TikTok video about this as well because I think it's a really important question. I was glad they asked. The question was, at this time in U.S. history, why is it that so many millions of people are susceptible to conspiracy theories and paranoid ideas about how things are and who's in charge of the government and you know the whole authoritarian strongman view coming into the forefront and all that? And of course, this country has always been ravaged by authoritarianism. Um, it was founded on the basis of it, actually. But why is it so strident now? Is it because social media is amplifying it? And of course, that's part of it. But I think there's a deeper answer, and I wanted to spend a little time on it, as well as on what we can do about it. So imagine somebody who is maybe middle class, lower middle class, something like that, in this country. And um, I know people like this. I have family members like this in terms of the picture I'm going to paint for you here. And, uh, you know, maybe they were raised sort of traditionally religious, which is fine. Um, Christian, let's say. And they were told things like um, the world is only 4,000 years old or so and... Um, the rapture is literally real and it's going to happen maybe sooner than later. And uh, Christianity is the only true path. And maybe they were told that uh, the United States is better than any other country in the world. And our founders were ideal men to look up to. And you, you understand the whole package, right? And so... Let's say that this person, having absorbed all this their whole life, is starting to be assailed by critical voices on all sides who disagree with all of these. Voices that point out inconvenient truths about how we ravage the planet or racism, which is systemic, or a number of other things. Uh, maybe maybe this person goes to school and hears that the, the universe is actually more like almost 14 billion years old. Maybe they hear that um, there's many ways of doing democracy. Um, and ours has some pretty serious shortcomings. So every time they hear something like this, it puts a dent in their worldview. 
and we hugely underestimate the power of worldview in this culture. It's our primary way of orienting ourselves in terms of what we value, who we are, what we believe, you know, the groups we should belong to, and even what we're doing here and what the universe is all about. It's all controlled by our worldview. So when our worldview is attacked by critical voices, teachers, scientists, scholars, you know, people from a political party who disagree with us, whatever, then at a level below consciousness, we register these as injuries. And people with a rationalistic slant to their character can argue about it all they want and say, well, knowing what's true and what's what's false is part of being an adult. And, you know, if you're believing a bunch of lies about the country, then you need to dump them over the side and get on board with the rest of us who know how things are and all that. Um, of course, they never look at the weaknesses in their own worldview. But uh, they, they ignore that crucially uh, impactful reality that we all have a worldview that we, to some extent, cherish, and we're at our most vulnerable when it's crumbling. Now, of course, in a bigger schema, that's actually growth. It means that we're growing and evolving and learning, and it's ultimately a good thing. But in the short term, it can represent a psychological catastrophe. So imagine this person who's had most of their worldview destroyed, whether they consciously admit it to themselves or not. And consciously, they might just be thinking, oh, I don't know what I believe anymore. Or I'm not getting much out of church, even though I go every Sunday. Or, you know, the pastor, I think he's, he's wise, but, you know, who really knows if, if he knows what's going on? And, and, you know, I've been working myself to the bone my whole life. What for? I mean, I can't afford even to buy groceries anymore. And, you know, my rent or my mortgage is out of this universe in terms of all these other rising prices. And, you know, I can't afford half of what my parents could afford. And, you know, what's all this about? And so at that exact moment, somebody comes along who is a con man. Or maybe a whole group of them come along and they say, you know, we understand all your doubts and uncertainties and fears because you're being lied to by these scientists and teachers and politicians and critical voices and everybody. Because the truth is, America is the greatest country that's ever been. And we need to take it back from these voices. And so all that authoritarian Christian nationalist ideology gets piled on top of that. And in the end, what you have is a person who is more racist, more intolerant, more sexist, and more violent than they ever were before their worldview was attacked. So a while back, a family member came to me about uh, one of their friends for decades and said... You know, she's gotten to the point where she's actually scary now. And I don't know what happened. I don't know what's going on with her. But the beliefs she has are so intolerant and so crazy. And I thought, well, I bet I know what happened. <laughs> so um, I also know somebody who was within less than a mile of the World Trade Center when it was destroyed on 9-11 and 
a friend of their, either a friend of theirs or a coworker, I can't remember which, actually had the nerve to tell them that the whole thing didn't happen. It was this, this big media hoax. It never took place. And he saw the buildings fall. He lost people. Can you imagine? <laughs> people will believe anything, no matter how outrageous, if it shores up their self-esteem at a time when they are suffering a kind of slow psychological death. A death of identity, a death of meaning, a death of who they identify with as a group, a death of how they think the universe works. All these are dying because what voices on every side are telling them is different from how they always understood how the world works. And this in turn creates a sense of shame. Why am I the idiot? Why am I the dissenting voice? And as for those of us who've been more on the critical side of this, we might hear this and ask, uh, well, what are we supposed to do? Just abet these lies? You know, when people say outrageous things like slavery was good for the slaves, we're just supposed to let that go? No, of course not. Absolutely not. I don't think the problem is confronting lies. I think the problem is our style of storytelling when we convey sweeping information about, for instance, the founding of the country or the American Revolution or what have you. And all we emphasize are the lies and the idealizations and the authoritarianism and all the rest of it. In other words, entirely the negative. Entirely the negative. Instead of having a more nuanced approach. I've noticed with myself, too, that although uh, I've made it a point to be as aware as I can of injustices that have occurred in this country and that continue to occur because they are systemic, that... Um, you know, sometimes when I'm hearing, I'm thinking of a historian I was watching in TikTok, or actually two of them, and the amount of vitriol that they poured all the way across the American experience with no nuance was so off-putting, even to somebody like me who knows this stuff, that I just went, uh, bye, <laughs> you know? let alone somebody who's vulnerable in the sense of what we've just been talking about. Um, and then you go and talk to somebody. Uh, I know people who have emigrated to this country from other countries, like a lot of us do. And you ask them, what do you think of the U.S.? And they say, this country is wonderful. This is so much better than where I came from. And yeah, there are people who say the opposite. But for the most part, not. So I think we're missing something when all we can emphasize is what's going haywire. And I think there's a little bit of, um, maybe a little bit of narcissism mixed in there too, some intellectual narcissism, you know, that sounds a little bit like, you know, I'm the one who has to be one of the voices to wake people up to unpleasant truths. It's like, who asked you? I mean, are, are you yourself subjugated to these injustices? Then, of course, you should stand up and protest them. But uh, this national habit we have of speaking for other groups that haven't asked us to, this just needs to go away. And from a psychological perspective, those of us who do sound critical tones and um, con you know confront the past for what it really was, when, when all we emphasize is how bad things were and are, 
It's time perhaps for some self-inquiry, starting with the really honest question. Okay, I'm supposed to be the honest truth teller here. What am I really getting emotionally out of destroying everybody's worldview like this? What's, what's the gain in it for me? Because it seems retaliatory. And not necessarily, but it can be, right? I remember being in a class I was teaching where I was explaining a new theory and there was somebody in the class who was one of those people who um, just loves to knock things down, you know, the, the critics in life. And she used a Jungian term and said, well, what's the shadow of this? What, what's the concealed darkness in it? You know, what's the problem in it? And, and I said, it's a new theory. I mean, let it get born first. <laughs> You, you know, it's hardly out of the gate and you're already talking about what's the what, what's the downside of it. I mean, we know things have a shadow side, so why don't we watch it and be careful with it and see how that turns up instead of immediately trying to strangle the baby before it can even come out of the womb. So if blowing up people's worldviews is not constructive and actually destructive because it tends to make people worse rather than better more open to lies rather than less, less discerning rather than more. If that's the case, then what can we do? Those of us who try to have some sense of justice, who try to acknowledge the imperfections of our country, our society, the world itself, what are we to do in the face of what's happening? Well, in addition to the self-inventory, um, or perhaps as part of it, maybe that's a more accurate way to say it, is to be aware of a tendency to split, to use a psychological term, good or bad, no in-between, right? So why don't we take George Washington as an example? The critical historians will often say, rightly, I mean, they're, they're accurate about this, you know, he not only owned slaves, he chased after them. His teeth came from slaves. <laughs> wow. I mean, you know, and here he is telling the whole world, we, you know, we need to be just and equitable and this and that and this, right? I mean, there, there's no end of ways you can tear down Washington, granted. But at the same time, the same man had enormous courage in a number of very difficult circumstances. Enormous courage. And he sometimes told truth when it was professionally risky for him to do it or even at the risk of his life. He made disastrous decisions, and he also made really good ones. When it came time for him to step down at the end of the Revolutionary War, he resigned his commission without hesitation. He did the same thing when he was finished serving as president, which caused his opponent, King George, to refer to Washington as one of the greatest living men. During the Revolutionary War, he took a ragtag army of highly individualistic misfits, a few of whom had been soldiers, but most just didn't know what else to do with their lives, or came from really shady backgrounds. I mean, there was a, real, a, a huge variety of people in those early armies, um, and calling them an army is a stretch, but they were one after him. He knew who to ask for help. He whipped them into shape. He understood very clearly that he, there were gaps in his own military experience, which he did his best to fill. So there's a number of things we can find about him, and for all the founders, 
that are a mix of nobility and shadow. And in doing this, we are trying to see them whole as human beings, not as either idols or enemies. We're trying to get out of the habit of splitting. He was either all good or all bad. He was neither. He was a human being who did some great things and some disastrous ones. Sometimes I think in this connection of an old Gnostic tale, the Gnostics were an esoteric group in the eastern Mediterranean about 2,000 years ago. And they told a tale about how the creator of the world was this evil bully who picked on Adam and Eve. And um, at one point when he created Adam um, as part of a kind of celestial competition, you know, he was trying to one-up somebody. And uh, Adam didn't do so well. He was just kind of laying there on the ground. And so in one Gnostic tale, the Demiurge, which was the name of the creator, blew his breath into Adam. And the breath had a spiritual essence that even the creator didn't know about. And Adam rose up wiser than the God who had created him. Sometimes miraculous things come from lowly beginnings. Sometimes important truths are uttered by scoundrels or just by human beings who are part gold and part clay. Jefferson, with a little bit of help from Ben Franklin, wrote some words that I regard as some of the most important that have ever been written. And they both had checkered histories. We hold these truths to be self-evident. In other words, beyond the need for proof, beyond the need for evidence. They are in and of themselves true. So by all means, let's be aware of the shadows of whether it's our country or our cultural group or whatever it is, our family, our institutions, our neighborhoods, civilization itself. Let's be aware of the shadows and the injustices because we do need to stop them and address them and heal from them. But we can't do it by simply wiping out people's core stories. They're just go and get other stories that are even more toxic. If we really want to help people understand the truth, then our stories need to have a little mixture of pixie dust, a bit of vision, a bit of inspiration, maybe even a bit of hope. Because with a bigger story, we can face the brutality of our own past and of what our ancestors did and of what's going on in the present as well. Because to the degree we ignore old injustices, we only perpetuate them over and over again. That's another story that repeats. But with a larger telling, a more holistic telling, a telling that sees all sides, we can land on the question of now what? Where can we go together? Where can we make some goodness come out of this? How can we live up to some of these ideals we've been talking about? How can we be, in terms of the, the United States, a truly inclusive nation where people can feel safe as a bare minimum of existence, safe and fed and housed? And we can do even better than that. It depends on what we can imagine together. Because we can't get there unless we imagine it. 
And it's going to take more than one person imagining. It's going to take all of us doing it together so that we can give each other guidance on where to go next. Thank you.